Welcome to The Difference Engine, the show for founders, funders, and the category curious. Don't confuse size, don't confuse valuation with category leadership. I'm not the only person frustrated by this. You disagree with my analysis. I do. You either acquire or you are acquired. Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. And it's proof that you're winning the argument. We all know history is written by the winners. Okay, what have we got today? We'll be predicting Google's next big pivot and asking what the exodus of US VCs from Europe means for tech in the UK and on the continent. We'll also be teaching what exactly a fro2 is and how to explain category to your team. But first of all, knock knock. Who's that? It's the sub postmasters and they're not happy. All right, the topic of the hour, the post office scandal brought to our attention by the excellent ITV drama and now making everybody hot under the collar. But what are the category lessons? What are the lessons for the UK from this, which has been described as the largest miscarriage of justice yep. in UK history and has made front page news, the somewhat racistly called Project Sushi, which is Whitehall, meaning the UK government's attempt to keep the supplier, Fujitsu, out of government contracts. But Fujitsu has a storied history. Jono, help us out. Fujitsu weren't the original contractors for the Horizon project, uh, which was designed to automate uh, most of the functions of the sub post offices, which are the sort of things you'd go to to go to the US Mail or Deutsche Post. But the reality was that when Fujitsu came in and bought ICL, the state supplier, it also bought this contract. And in plain sight, between 1999 and 2015, 700 sub were prosecuted for offences such as theft, fraud, and false accounting, and thousands more have been affected. So this is a huge story, and as Paul says, a huge miscarriage of justice. So the key thing that went right through this project and, and seems absolutely incomprehensible to us is that Fujitsu and the post office maintained that it did not have access to the sub-postmaster's accounts. So any discrepancies in the figures on the system could have only come from the sub-postmasters themselves. How ridiculous. Ludicrous. In a world of cloud computing, we've had already this morning, we've had computers reboot because they need updates from the brain, the head of the cloud, where all the downloads come from. Anybody who knows anything about computers which clearly doesn't involve Her Majesty's uh, jurisdiction, really would know that this is how computers work. This is sort of the tip of a very, very large and very, very dark iceberg. You know, two years ago, um, the venerable tech journalists Dave Bicknell and, and Tony Collins, they got a site called Campaign 4, that's a letter for change. They compiled a list of 43 years of state IT project disasters, and they're still happening. So even at that time, that was well over 40 billion pounds of state-related IT failures. Now, this, we believe, has a colossal impact on category creation and leadership, not just in the UK, but where these mistakes are replicated across Europe. Yeah, massive hat tip to the lads from Computer Weekly, and that includes Carl Flinders and Rebecca Thompson, Brian Glick as editor. These guys really championed a story that came from, and this is their own words in yesterday's Sunday Times, a tiny trade magazine. This is the issue, right? Is technology and category creation, software development, a tiny industry? Is this a subsector of the British establishment? It would seem so. If you wear a funny wig and 
dress like you were a thousand uh, hundred years ago, then you get the authority to lock people up. Well, this is also a, a classic bit of um, British class warfare, isn't it? I mean, disdain for trade. That's why we haven't developed our industrial economy in the same way as many of our competitors. Yeah, and so now is the time to really fess up to our ignorance. And, and just, we've, we've banged on about this before, but really it's time that the quote-unquote establishment grew up, understand the importance of technology, understood the importance of technology for the future of our economy, the whole of the EU, in fact, and stopped being so goddamn ignorant about what actually happens when you plug in a computer to the cloud. So these, these are absolutely the basic first principles of networks, of remote access, of cybersecurity. You know, they're not a black box. They need to be upgraded. The bugs need to be fixed. And that means there will be access by the contractor to those systems. Yeah, this is all basics, right? When you get to the bigger picture, it's like, what's the consequence of a company like Fujitsu having such a large proportion of all of the government technology? Well, it's strangulation of the opportunity for the rest of the category ecosystem and anybody that wants to compete with them. If you lock down access to a fundamental part of the economy, to the innovators, the creators, the category designers of tomorrow, you reap what you sow. We're not going to be particularly down on Fujitsu because this could be any major contractor, but Fujitsu itself has more than two billion worth of contracts with the UK government. It almost beggars belief that since... 2019, when there was a High Court ruling that the sub-postmasters convicted were not at fault, Fujitsu has secured 101 contracts. UK Division reporting 22 million in profits, according to the most recent accounts. Well, you know, that's nice work, but it's not over yet. I mean, if you just look recently, you know, a company which is a category leader, AWS, far and away the category leader in cloud services, has secured three contracts with British government worth... 894 million in recent weeks. You know, what's got to come out of this is some positivity, right? And you see things like the G Cloud, which is the government's much vaunted attempt to open up government procurement to other smaller suppliers. This is the sort of initiative that needs to be encouraged. If we don't stop giving contracts to those folks, we can never hope to nurture the category leaders of tomorrow. Absolutely correct, Paul. What does the future hold? Let's look into our crystal ball. Okay, so it's crystal ball time. And, you know, start of the year, kick off, quite a good thing to do. And I have to say, there's been a lot of people looking at the future with a bit of a gloom, but we don't share that. Although some of the short-term stats ain't looking great. Looking at my crystal ball at the moment, I think we are seeing Google doing a very interesting category pivot. Well, yeah. But there's a lot of people losing their jobs. Yeah, well, you know, we know they've laid off hundreds of employees um, in hardware, and voice assistant, engineering teams, as part of inverted commas cost-cutting measures. I mean, obviously, 2023. We've discussed this before. Was that the uh, year of efficiency, not economy? Of course. Well, I think that Google is now at the beginning of a new category journey. So, what are we saying about the category of voice assistants then? Because are we saying they lost that? I think they've lost the voice category in the same way as they lost the cloud category to Amazon. But I think what is really interesting when you look at these redundancies is if you look at a layer down, the same day that news of those cuts broke, Google announced that it would deprecate, the word it used, 17 
underutilized inverted commas features of Google Assistant, playing audiobooks, sending emails, starting a meditation session even um, with Calm by using a voice command. So kill the products is what we're saying. Deprecates a posh word for kill the products, end of life, stop developing. I think kill may be a bit harsh there, Paul. I think I think maybe garrote or strangle could be the right term. Stunt. Okay, but yeah. but they're but they're going away. And are they retiring from the game or are they living to fight another day? No, I, I think, again, they may prove to be very smart. And uh, I think they are definitely living to fight another day. They're basically giving away the voice assistant market to the winner in this case. But I think what they're doing is integrating assistant as an in ingredient in their GI platform, Bard. Yes, yeah, so Bard is pretty damn good, it has to be said. And the race is for sure on. So there's a million AI companies that are popping out there at the moment, but the big players are really making their moves. Microsoft, Copilot, Google, Bard, Claude, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Everybody's but, going for this. But I think this is a classic pivot. So it's a classic move. It's a move. You know, it's realized that it's failed to achieve leadership in the current category. And it's rethinking its approach. And it's doing the classic thing you do when you create a new category. You reframe what a customer should expect. And that is really, really important because as you intimated there, Google's now locked in a fierce rivalry with Microsoft as both firms are striving to lead the AI domain. Yeah, and this comes you know, at the same time that there's the Zuckerberg, King of the Metaverse Netflix series, Apple's finally made its spatial computing, now there's a category, its spatial computing category come to life by actually giving people the ability to buy the goggles, much derided as they were. So it is all still to play for. Yeah, I think so. I think the thing we have to realize and everybody else has to realize if they're going to try and either gain or maintain category leadership is that if you're going to pivot, you can include technology from a previous category, but at best it can only be an ingredient of this new paradigm you're trying to push. We think the new category is emerging. Certainly, there's a lot of players fighting for dominance. And we like what we're seeing from Apple and others. It's almost like the collateral damage of category creation. But I think in the crystal ball, we'll see a lot of integration of existing technologies as ingredients in new AI-driven categories. You've got to learn to earn. So Jonathan, what is a fro2 and why the hell does it matter? Well, I'm glad you asked that because ultimately a fro2 is the boiling down of your point of view. And it's your point of view which is the thing which underlines your category's differentiation. Got it, but lots of people say, "Oh, I think about my business all the time." So, why do I need to do it in a certain specific way well both of us have run businesses over the years and we know damn well that actually what we really do in our business is probably think about what's happening next week and we don't really take the time to have a reflection about inflection all right let's get into it for those who don't know pro 2 is a not very shortened version of from 2 and that's a concept that exists in uh, has existed in consultancy since consultants were invented uh, which is the, the current state versus the future state. That's the promise of the world as is to the world that will be. So a sort of boiled down imagining of what the world for your 
customer is going to look like. Exactly. And, and by its definition, it's got to be a stretch, right? So you've got some examples, I think, from the world of telco, maybe? Um, possibly. There's some quite interesting photos going on at the moment. I mean, just look at Microsoft at the moment. So this week, we've heard that UK regulators are going to allow the acquisition of Activision. So that essentially, almost at a stroke, takes Microsoft from a supplier of hardware gaming platforms to a complete games developer and publisher, which is a massive from two. And they wanted this so much, their compelling vision, the, the two of the Fro2, the two for them to be this games publisher, games studio, and games platform was so compelling that they gave away 15 years of potentially monopolistic earnings to a direct rival in the shape of Ubisoft. That is strategy. And, you know, we, we constantly go on that category is strategy, and that's absolutely strategy. So another, I think, beautiful throw too is if you consider the history of, of Amazon, they have gone from a disruptive online bookseller, which was a pretty amazing thing to do in the first place, to becoming the world's most successful cloud service. So if you think about the impact that has changed on their customers, that's a huge change from dealing with a particular problem for largely the consumer, i.e. you can get books delivered at discount in the biggest bookstore you've ever been in, to we're going to entirely support your corporate mission with a computing platform. And then, of course, these corporations we're talking about, they have several lines of business, but we're just using these as illustrations. The one that goes the other way from Microsoft, which started very wedded to the hardware platform and has ended up in a software games publishing software platform move is the move with um, Google. So Google obviously was an academic search engine, drove a lot of additional businesses in terms of office productivity, the GDoc suite, et cetera, et cetera. But it also has gone from all of that to being quite a significant player in hardware. So whilst Microsoft's gone sort of from hardware wedded to software, uh, Google's got software nailed. It's now got the Pixel phone, which is a, a very decent phone, I'm told. Uh, very hard to get an, you know, a fanboy like me off of the Apple, but Pixel's a fine phone. And the Chromebook is an amazing product as well. So they've actually moved more towards hardware. Uh, that's their Fro2. Okay, so what do we think are the pro tips we'd uh, give to anybody who's trying to imagine the future? It's only fair that we share some of those. So when we do Fro2s, we go absolutely bananas. Uh, we might have 100 Pro 2s. We might have 50 Pro 2s. And you want to really brainstorm those Pro 2s and then come back to them and whistle those down to probably about a dozen. Well, what, one of the things is, is you have to imagine what the world would be like for your customer in at least 18 months' time. So you've got to be bold. You've got to be imaginative. You've got to be different. As, as we always say, and you've got to be delivering an advantage to your customer. And, and, and the, frankly, the more, the merrier. You've really got to get your imagination running on it. But I think one of the best parts of Froto and using it as a strategic tool is the whittling down process. So create your 50, let's say. Yep. Um, stop. Yep. Sleep. Definitely. Consume something refreshing if that's what you want to do. Works for us. And it does. And then come back and whittle those things down and really sweat them. This is the hard work of Fro 2s. It is. It is. And and But if you can get it down to 10, that is the real test of your point of view. 
which of course is closely allied to your photo because your photo is the boiled down point of view. And just to underline, 18 months out at a minimum, it's fine if your twos are almost unbelievable in their ambition because you're going to have several lightning strikes to get you there. Yeah, the process by which you'll establish your category is going to take two or three years. So in summary then, Fro twos are really, really essential. Uh, and as I said, I would love to see a point of view that was just Fro twos. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, you do need to justify how you're going to get there, which is a, a key part of the But the, the that's the point. If your Fro two doesn't involve a leap of faith, you're not being ambitious enough. You're falling into that trap we talk about all the time. You're just going better, not different. Yeah. And it should be always different, not better. So, Paul, we're seeing um, a few American VCs heading down the A4 here with their bags packed, Heathrow Airport, going back to the States. Widely reported. There's been a, a couple of big names. Coach is one. So it, it's sort of really easy to think that as the tech market turns down, the financiers vacate Europe. You know, we saw that around the turn of the century, and we have to ask ourselves, is history repeating itself? Well, maybe it is. But as we said earlier, we'd like to be a little bit positive about this. This could be creative destruction. You know, as some people leave and other people replace them, for sure. Only this week we saw Hyper Exponential raise $73 million from Battery Ventures and A16Z. And A16Z has just opened a new office here, which was reported. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's nice to see Hyper Exponential being backed by somebody who just arrived. I mean, you know, A16Z. Long expected. And battery, you know very well, right? I do, I do. And and they do great Christmas parties. Um, but seriously, you know, they have been in the UK for, for getting on for a, for a couple of decades now and have a very, very interesting investment philosophy. So maybe it is that these guys, such as battery, have been around for a long time. Yeah. They're actually... I've got a better sense for what's in the market, they right? They may be. I mean, they did put $73 million in tech. It's an InsureTech infrastructure company the partner from, from Battery is actually a very successful founder on the insurance side of things, founder of Guidewire. I think last time I checked, about eight, nine billion dollars worth of market cap. So really, you know, a thoughtful and considered approach. Yeah, but I think what's sort of happening here at a macro level, we think is is sort of interesting because in twenty twenty three we, we got this slowdown. And that was... That's uh, the appearance of 21, right? Yeah, but it's a 55% decline from, from 2021, you know, when the investment went past 100 billion, I think, for the first time. And it's a drop of 38% from 2022. So is it all over for category creators? I mean, like, surely there's some lessons to be learned. No, I, I, it's absolutely not, not all over. I think what is all over is uh, spending vast amounts of money chasing consumers to build up market share. I think what is what is back is very, very careful and studied investment in the next generation of tech enablers. And I think HX are, are one of those. Yeah, so I happen to know that Hyper Exponential was lucky enough to be involved in, in some of that announcement. This is a company that has got more money cash in hand than it's raised. It ain't raising the money for runway. It's raising the money to do strategic things. And maybe the lesson for those guys in you know running startups, etc., is to resist sucking on the teat, if you will, of VCs and make yourself a profitable or close to profitable company before you reach out 
back in 21, that seemed like insanity. Free money, take it. But actually, it's a good discipline, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, that's, we're back to that whole point. It's about the difference between your consumer land grabs and firms that actually develop enabling tech. So, you know, no need anymore for blockbuster rounds investing in copycats. Because a lot of that money goes inevitably on Facebook ads. We know 50% of those don't work. That's out there. And just like large marketing campaigns. And coming back to a topic we talked about before, a lot of people get confused between category design and marketing. But yeah, the point is, this is not about marketing. This is about strategy. And enabling technologies are based firmly in strategy. Because anyone can spend marketing dollars, right? That's, a, that's easy that's to do. That's easy. Creating a profitable business, much, much harder. And that involves the key part of category, which is thinking. Yeah. And, and you know, we think um, that the market's absolutely right for, for venture capitalists that get category. Now then, now then, Professor Simnett, what are we going to learn so we can earn? Well, I thought today we'd, uh, we'd think about how to keep your team with you on the category journey. It's always a good idea to have your team with you, particularly on a category journey, which is going to take a number of years. And is it likely that they wouldn't be with you? It could be. I mean, we've talked before about getting board alignment with on the category journey with, with clear roles established within that top level leadership team. But the reality is everybody's got a role to play in the category journey. And it's essential that your entire company is on board from the beginning. The next to worst thing that you can do as a leadership team is assume that your employees will understand why you're embarking on a category journey. We said this before, but you know, if you've made your living as a salesperson selling, you know, product A. Finding out that product A is part of a bigger picture category can be a bit of a bummer. Well, that's sort of interesting because I, I would contest that the worst thing you can you can do is, is believe that your sales team and anybody else on your team will instantly agree with you that your beautifully honed strategic plan is a good idea and will want to commit wholeheartedly. So this is where you step out of your your like you know if you like your strategic role and realize that at a tactical level, you need to sell that communication, sell that vision. And on the category journey, you have to balance internal and external communications. They are going to peak at different times, but they're both absolutely essential. I think the other thing which you need to be aware of is that don't expect that you're going to get quick and clear feedback on the initiative from your team. They'll probably just be looking at you with their mouths open. Understandable, right? People absorb information in different ways some people are very visual some people are very verbal some people are very analytical almost anybody needs a, you know, they need a minute yeah to sure and check uh, this stuff know, out. it's going to take time uh, and ultimately you're going to need to really extract from people what their real feedback is you know they, they have to trust you that they can give you full honest feedback right so let's get to the tips i think there are about five things you, you need to bear in mind so my first one would be You've got to understand there has to be a communications plan in place from the outset. So number one, realize that it's not about you, the board, deciding to go on the category journey, holding your category flag and running with it and looking behind you and realizing oh, there's nobody there. And this often is an issue, right? Because, you know, it's great putting together a strike plan and, and then you say, well, we've got to do an internal strike. We've got to, we've got to tell everybody what's coming. And sometimes those charging ahead, the strike team go, shit, yeah, that's actually quite a good idea. 
So inserting that little stage and allowing people a little bit of time to absorb it is something that's often forgotten. It is. And, and I think you've got to assemble a small strike team to work with the board leaders. Now, you know, why small? Well, one, because it's about confidentiality. You don't want this strategic plan and strategic movement to leak out to your competitors. And just to be clear, the reason is, what will the competitors do? They will try and copy you, or they will actively get into the marketplace to rubbish you or get ahead of you. So a small team, keep it quiet until you don't need to keep it quiet. But also move fast. And that's the other benefit of a small team. Yes. So once you've got that together, you need to brief the company just before a public strike. You know, and that's about maintaining impact. And the briefing should come from the CEO. We, we keep going back to this. This is about really effective leadership. I mean, yes, but tell me what happens if it doesn't come from the CEO. But nobody takes it so seriously. It becomes a marketing thing. You delegate this down. The company doesn't come from the top. People call it marketing. And trust me, they don't mean that in a good way. No, they don't. They don't. So you know, if you're going to be a CEO, if you're going to lead, lead it, if you're going to make sure people understand this is not marketing, this is strategy, you need to be open. And you need to do the ask me anything approach. Because when you do that, all excuses for negativity disappear. Ask me anything internally is perfect because it preempts the inevitable questions that come once you strike. This gives you the opportunity to, to monitor and engage with the Zs or the Zs as we call them. And these are the people who are going to be negative about what you're doing. Now, clearly, the preference should be to bring them on board. But if, if you have Zs or Zs over time, you may have to have a conversation, which is, are you with us on this journey or would you be better off working somewhere else? Um, so you need to flush them out and challenge them. Yeah, and it's super interesting, right? Uh, you know, because there's a million reasons to to feel a little bit anxious about new categories. It's not it's not straightforward stuff. But some of the reasons for feeling anxious are valid, and some of them are invalid. And it may be the sort of person that you've got in the team at the time you're launching the category is more risk averse, doesn't see it for whatever reason. Kindest, best thing for both parties is to part ways. The last of the Fab Five here is that you need to report back your successes and the challenges of the first strike. And once you've done the first strike, as Pat Morrissey, if you've uh, who's recent who's, episode, recent episode, CCO of Harview pointed out, you need to keep going. So what's the first? What's the thing you do after strike one? You go on to strike two, and you drive it forward. Yeah, and I think this is a classic thing that you can get wrong um, all the time. Yeah, we've done our strike. We're done. We have launched a category. Well, have you done it successfully? Have you checked back? What's the next stage? Always plan ahead. You, know, you want a couple of strikes a year if you can. One is, you know, the bare minimum. But you want to keep moving your category on because categories do evolve over time. Absolutely. So, you know, my, my professorial view on this is is that you have to have parallel programs of internal and external communication. So, and, and, and you're going to summarize what we've learned. That's one of the summaries. You have to have parallel programs of internal and external communication because you've got to address both your employees and your customer base. But be very, very, very careful to identify and deal with individuals who are not engaging with the category process you've got to target them and persuade them and if they refuse to adapt don't be afraid to part ways so make sure everybody knows what their role is but maintain levels of confidentiality on the path to each strike as leakage will adversely 
and catastrophically affect the impact of each strike. So there you have it. Um, five top tips for getting the message out there to your team and bringing everybody along board. There is a blog which will accompany this podcast and they'll list out your top five tips as well, Jonathan. Thanks, Professor Simlet. My pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to learn more about the topics discussed in this episode, then go and read our blog posts at becategorical.com. And if you are category curious and you have a question, we can help. Get in touch with us via LinkedIn, X, or using the information in the show notes. 